You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. Welcome again to Grace Community Church. Uh, If you're here for the first time, we extend to you a very special welcome. Very grateful that you uh, chose to be with us this morning. I just want to say before we get going good that uh, Friday, important day in our country, Veterans Day. If you have served in the military or if you're presently serving, we are so, so grateful for your service. Thank you very much. Uh, A couple of announcements that I just want to reiterate. Grace Connection is in less than two weeks. And in fact, uh, Ricky was talking about a cutoff for today for one other activity. I can't remember what it is. But next Sunday, if you want to sign up for Grace Connection, we need to, to know that by next Sunday. It's our new members class Get to learn about our church, a lot about our church, what we believe, how we function, how we operate. Um, And so if you would like to be a part of that, please sign up before next Sunday morning. Uh, Also tonight, Grace Matters. Be here tonight. It's a very important ministry of our church. Neil Manning, David Calvert will lead us in a conversation about all the folks that are moving into our area. We have a responsibility to preach the gospel, and the Lord will be leading people to us. We need to be thinking about that, and we need to be thinking about our ministry to the community. We'll do that tonight at 6.30. You will be glad you were here. Well, I'm going to ask a question. You don't need to raise your hand in response. But I wonder who among us has FOMO. A lot of FOMO folks in here. In case you don't know what it means, it's the fear of missing out. You know what it's like. You can't be still. You have to go here, have to go there. You do know, of course, that if you stay glued to your social media feeds or perform preferred news source, you can never leave the house and be eaten up with FOMO. You can have a bad case of it if you're constantly checking your phone. Contentment just might be the most difficult spiritual virtue virtue for believers to receive from the Lord in our frantic age. Regardless of where you think America is right now, and let me say that if you have not voted Please do so if you are registered on Tuesday. But regardless of where you think our land is right now, the vestiges of the principles on which our nation was founded still resonate within our hearts and minds. Words like opportunity, influence, ambition find a place in the way we live our lives, whether we're believers or not. Something better seems just beyond the reach. But if we work hard enough, or if we are smart enough, we can achieve our goals and see the deepest desires of our hearts become reality. Used to be that it was the deepest desire we have for our family, our nation, 
our community. Now it's the de deepest desires of our hearts. But we all have that inside of us. We think we can get there regardless of our circumstances. Contentment, when you think about it, seems to stand in the way. It stands in the way of accomplishing great things that we want to think we have been made to accomplish. And there's truth to accomplishing the things that we have been made to, as we'll think about this morning. But there's also great wisdom in being content with the life that the Lord has given you. As you might remember from Isaiah 55, the Lord says in verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so were my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The difference between God's ways and our ways begins with how we're brought into relationship with Him. At the beginning of Isaiah 55, God invites us to come to Him with nothing to offer. Whenever someone invites us to their home, I'm like, hey, let's go. And Allison's like, no, 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 we can't. We have to bring something. So tomorrow night, buds, you'll find out whether Allison wins or I win in this. You know, I'm like, let's go. She'll like, no, 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 we, we're bringing something. That's not an advertisement for you to invite us for a meal. However, however, you know, if Holy Spirit works in weird, you know. But, but the Lord says, no, you come to me with nothing to offer. You have nothing that will make you better looking to me, more presentable to me. Make my heart more open to you. I have provided, and it is my delight to give to you. Salvation is free. We come at God's invitation, and we are the ones who are blessed. It's not that we're blessing him. He is blessing us. If you're going to be right with God, it will not be because of your good works, your church attendance, your giving, your help for the poor. All are noble endeavors. But our sins have separated us from our God. And the bridge and the gap cannot be bridged. We can't do anything to cross this canyon. But he did. I, I know there are theologians that have a problem, but I love the picture of the canyon and the two cliffs standing and then the cross is laid down. Only the cross of Christ Bridges the gap between us and God. We were sinners. We couldn't get to him. So he came to us. Lived a perfect life. And thus was eligible to be a perfect sacrifice. And when we repent of our sins. When we say Lord. I, I, I know what I deserve. I, I deserve to go down. And I, I'm sorry for my sins. But I believe that Jesus died for me. And when we cry out to the Lord, he saves us. As we have seen in 1 Corinthians all along the way, and we're going to see it again this morning, we who believe 
have been bought with a price. And we belong to Jesus. It's not entirely that we were a slave to sin and now we're free. We are. But it's we're, we were a slave to sin and now we're a delighted slave to Jesus. And this perspective changes everything. I belong to him. It's not just me in the American way being the best that I can possibly be. I'm not opposed to that, by the way. Don't, don't think that. I'm not opposed to us doing the best we can, being the best we can be. But it really is tricky to keep it all in perspective. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians 7, 17 to 38. If you're here for the first time, we're in a series in 1 Corinthians. We've skipped around a little bit. We've already done 8 to 10. So next week, Lord willing, we'll be in um, 1 Corinthians 11. I know many of you have been waiting for this text where we talk about women wearing head coverings. It's really exciting. I can't tell you how excited I am, actually, to preach next week's sermon. Uh, today's text is much like last week's text. It's lengthy and complex, and there's no good place to jump in and read a few verses to introduce the ideas that will be covered here. The music that was chosen this morning, perfect. If we weren't doing the Lord's table at the end of this message where we're talking about what it means to be single and to serve God, I think I Will Wait For You would be the perfect song to sing. We've already sung it, and it is true. Our hearts need to be fully focused on God, and we need to wait for him. Since there is little time to review last week's text, which speaks to this week's text, I will do my best to provide context as we go. So after we pray, I'll do my best to explain the text, and then we'll we will ponder application before we come to the Lord's Supper at the end of our service. So let's begin our time with prayer. If you would pray with me. Lord, um, this text is so full. It's so important. I'm not going to be at all surprised. If the Holy Spirit brings meaning to my heart, understanding to my heart, even as it is preached. I pray that you would open our hearts wide and fill them full with good news. It's found here in 1 Corinthians 7. May we see Jesus, the one in whose name we pray. Amen. I'll only say this as we approach the text. Paul addressed those who were married and or divorced in the first part of 1 Corinthians 7. And while the primary focus of this morning's text is on those who were single, young adults who were single, or older adults who were single, it speaks to all who follow Christ in whatever circumstances they find themselves. Let's jump in, beginning with verses 17 through 19. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call, when you were saved, was anyone already 
uh, let's see, at the time of his save, time of his call, already circumcised. Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Now, there is a great deal of theological significance in these first three verses, but there's a lot of practical teaching as well, especially as it leads in to a continuation of this thought we'll get to in a few minutes. The term call is used here in two different ways in our text. First, as we see clearly here, it's the call of salvation. God has revealed himself to us and called us to himself through Jesus. There's also the calling that extends to our status in life, specifically our status at the time we were saved, but generally in whatever job or family or location or circumstances we find ourselves as believers. It will be helpful to us, I think, to recognize The doctrine or the understanding of vocation that the reformers saw this in this and other texts, but particularly this text. The understanding of vocation was particularly important to Martin Luther, who believed that God calls believers to live faithfully wherever he places them. One important recovery of the Reformation was the value that was placed on stay-at-home moms, as most were in the 16th century, and on the common laborer. In that day, the notion was that the only people who really were called of God were those who were serving in ministry. If you weren't a priest, if you're just a, a normal person, a businessman, or a, a, a mom raising the kids at home, you're really not of that much value. But Luther taught, and the reformers believed, that God's call was not just for the church leaders, but for all followers of Christ. So that's your vocation. Whatever you're doing is your vocation. But in addition to your job, you might be given a vocation of suffering. Suffering physically or of bearing persecution. Think of how hard we have tried to move away from what the reformers covered on our behalf, often with the best of intentions, even going so far as to say the only life that counts is one that's lived radically for Jesus. But often it is in the rhythm of everyday life where vocation is fulfilled. Circumcision in Paul's day was expected of Gentile converts to Judaism. So it was a big deal for Paul to say it's not necessary for those who come to Christ, Gentiles who come to Christ, to be circumcised. Some tried to reverse the marks of circumcision. It's going to sound funny to you, but for business purposes. Gymnasiums were very popular in the day. And those Gentile converts to Judaism, those who had come to know Yahweh through the synagogues, but now understood Jesus, 
is the only way to salvation. Some of those Gentiles who had been circumcised as a, as a requirement coming in might now try to reverse those marks because circumcision was bad for business, let's just say. Paul taught that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision had anything to do with one's relationship with God, but rather it was a person's heart that was the important marker of one's relationship with Jesus. Paul further bolstered his argument in verses 20 to 24. Each one of you should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when you were called? Verse 21. Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. This is where some of the reformers went overboard. They felt like it was wrong to try to better your circumstances. But Paul has no prohibition for that. And in fact, he says, if you can, if you can gain your freedom, go for it. Verse 22, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant, as a slave, is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of your tribe. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. That's where they got it. As you know, slavery was a thing in first century Greece. Many people thought, no doubt, that one's social position determined one's ability to render meaningful service for the Lord. But Paul said, no, that's not the case at all. You ever been tempted to think, well, what if this person could get saved? Just think about what they could do. No, not really. It's not God needs any of us. He takes us as we are and uses us in the unlikeliest of ways. He loves doing that. Ways that you were surprised. You're like, I never thought the Lord would use me to do that. Paul said, whether you are a slave or free, God is working his will through you. If you're a slave, hey, you're free in Christ. If you're free, don't you know that you're a slave to Christ? The important thing here is that whatever one's legal employment, legal, uh, legal status, his employment, social status, each has a vocation to fulfill. It's not that we're prohibited from bettering our, our circumstances or ourselves, but we must not wait until we are older or in a better financial position or to graduate to serve the Lord. We are to serve Christ now. So what does all this have to do with being single? Verses 25 through 28. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one by who the Lord's or who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? 
Not exactly sure what Paul means by that. But do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. The Greek word for betrothed is parthenos, which means virgin. And while it can refer to men or women, and may well do so in verse 25, it's typically referring to women in this passage. It's a little tricky to know whether Paul is referring to one who is engaged or to one who is legally married but has not, they have not physically consummated the marriage. Now, now we can't imagine such an arrangement. We can imagine people moving in together who are committed to each other, but because of economic reasons, they don't get married. There's no Christian who can say that's a good idea. It's just not. But we can't imagine this other situation. In the first century, it was a thing. Why would Paul encourage men and women who were engaged not to marry. Because, verse 26, of the present distress. Either Paul was referring to the difficulty of living as a believer in a culture opposed to Christ in his ways. Or he could have been referring to a severe famine that took place in Greek, in Greece only a few years before Paul wrote his letter. And At the time Paul wrote his letter, there were still significant food shortages in the land. It could have been diesel fuel shortages. No, it wasn't that back then. But the point was, he was saying, tough times. Either way, Paul was looking for Jesus to return. As all of us should. If you are absolutely convinced in your heart that Jesus is going to return in our lifetime, you're in a 2,000-year-old club, and it's designed that way. We all should expect Jesus to return in our lifetime. Look at verses 29 to 31. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. That's the way God wants us to think. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Steady on, the British would say. With an accent, of course. Regardless of whether you take Paul's advice about remaining single when all your friends are getting married. Christians are to live as though they believe the kingdom of God has already come, although not in full. We must not make our pursuit of goods or status or even family our ultimate end, although 
Family is hugely important, as we'll talk about along the way. We, we long to see Jesus come and make all things right. To live only for the moment and only for ourselves is to fail to fulfill our vocation and truly to fail to even understand what life is about. Hans Borsma says, when we make this life here and now our ultimate end, we are actually losing its meaning. Don't you think one of the reasons that life is so noisy today is to drown out God's voice where we don't have to stop and think and listen? So it's just easier to go along with the culture. If you are single, I understand that some of you, maybe most of you, have a deep desire for the blessing of a companion who walks through life with you. And I pray that God will bring someone into your life if that's your, if that's your desire. If you do not have the gift of singleness, I wish a, a beautiful mate for you. But if you were single, this is God's will for you at the moment. This is your vocation. Not that the following words from Paul are likely to convince you, but they must at least be considered. Verses 32 to 35. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please him. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, just to think about it, he's saying, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. I think we would all acknowledge the truth of what Paul is saying in these verses, although this truth is more difficult to receive emotionally even than it is intellectually. God's created order and his creation mandate indicate that most will marry and have children. But not everyone. And those who do not marry are given special grace and a special assignment from the Lord. Singles who serve the Lord well should be given places of honor in the church. Now, wouldn't that be different if we elevated singles? I had several in mind, but one in particular in mind as I wrote this message as I was thinking about singles who serve the Lord with all their hearts. Not everyone, though, is able to be single for life. 
as verses 36 to 38 tell us. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do it, do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and I think most of us would acknowledge this is not most people. When you are engaged, difficult days. But the one who has his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed or engaged or as a very close friend, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Once again, this is the only place, 1 Corinthians 7, in Paul's writings that I'm aware of where he distinguishes between commandments slash principles that must be followed and advice that he has given. And this is advice that is not necessary to follow and does not hurt you if you fail to follow it. He's just making a case, the best case that he can. So before we come to the Lord's table, here are three points of application from the text, beginning with choose vocation over occupation, and certainly choose vocation over follow your heart. Now, what is wrong with the way this point is constructed? Vocation is given to us by the Lord. We don't choose our vocation, right? But I think you see the benefit of this way of thinking and understanding that the life God has given us to live is our vocation. Be the best manager you can be. Serve God as a laborer with all your heart. Strive to be as good a student as you can be in middle school and in med school. If God has given you a vocation of suffering, do not think of cancer in terms of all that you are no longer able to do. But be light in dark places as you fulfill your vocation or even as you suffer in silence at home or in the hospital. Do you know how scared I am to write these lines? Knowing that the Lord can at any time say, okay, well, let's see. Let's see, Brad. People would talk to me when I lost my wife, when I was losing her, and, and they would say, but you know what it's like. And I, was like, I, I would say, no, I, I, I don't know what it's like. I, I was right there with her. We're one. It's like one flesh being ripped apart. But I didn't know what it was like to be certain unless the Lord intervened that there would be an end. But if that's what you've been called to do, It's the vocation that God has given you. Do not think that you're missing out when you don't get a promotion 
or when you're raising your children rather than pursuing a career, even a career for which you have trained. If you cannot enjoy all the benefits of life that your friends enjoy, give thanks to the Lord for the life that He has given you. If you don't have enough money or the opportunity to follow your heart, you're not missing anything if you're following Jesus. Nothing. This goes for children as well as adults. But the place that is the primary focus of this portion of Scripture is for singles. If you are single, you are blessed in ways that your married brothers and sisters cannot enjoy, to which I know the temptation is to say, yeah, joy, joy. I know it takes faith to believe this. But what in any of our callings does not require faith? And when we live by faith, we see Jesus in ways that those who were going happily along never do. All of the Christian life is a faith. And we are left to ponder at the deepest levels the complexity of this second point. To marry or not to marry, that is sometimes the question. At the wedding altar, a young man turned to his bride's mother. And he said, you've given me a gift, a gift that, and he was overcome with emotion. But fortunately, his ready-to-be mother-in-law kept her wits about her, and she said, I have given you a gift that you can't return. <laughs> Paul makes it clear that living a life Free from marriage is not for everyone. If you marry, verse 39, which is not part of our text, it was last week, states that you must marry a believer. There are good reasons to marry, such as physical passions, and there are good reasons not to marry, such as a life of devoted service to the Lord. And Stephen Um, uh, who has written a commentary on 1 Corinthians, may give us the best advice. Quote, if you are staying single because you want the freedom to love your neighbors, you have a pretty good reason. But if you're doing it because you want to focus on your career, because you hate the idea of being obligated or to someone else or of someone better coming along, if any of that describes you, you don't have a good reason. What if... As an adult, you are not married, and you want to be. Is there any area of our lives that needs more focus on prayer and attention to detail than this one? First, if you are not married as an adult and you want to be, please know that I'm praying for you. I don't ever joke about this. I don't even like... 
all the shenanigans that go on at weddings and stuff, you, you might have, that, that might surprise you a little bit. But I don't. I, it's a serious business. And I'm, I would never laugh of you or make light of you if you're single. Know this. I'm praying for you. Second, make your plans early. High schoolers, be thinking about this. Not to wait too long to think about pursuing marriage. I don't mean the day you turn 18, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Third, trust that for now, the vocation that God has given you is to live without being married as fully and passionately and as joyfully as if you were married. That is your vocation, even more so. I hope that you read Kevin DeYoung's article on large families that I posted to Faith Life a few weeks ago. Please go back. Go back and read it. Maybe I'll repost it. Ricky, uh, please repost that for me since it'll take you a lot less time than it will take me. Um, I couldn't agree more with Kevin's sentiments about the need to marry younger than we do and to start having children at earlier ages. I know this is out of step with the culture, but it's been my consistent belief and stance all my adult life. Let me say, so that there is no doubt, you need to honor your parents whether they're paying your school bill or not. You need to honor your parents. So do not in any way take this as a, a reason to reject their counsel and their advice. Enter into the conversation with them and trust that the Lord will work in your life partially through them and through their advice. But if you're waiting to be financially secure or to get through with your training or whatever else is standing in the way of marrying and raising children in the fear and the knowledge of the Lord, please do not wait too long. Whether you were married or plan to be married or whether you're single and would like to be married or whether you have the gift of celibacy, this last point speaks to you. We belong to Jesus. Let us live as though our time is short and his return is near. You know what this table reminds us of? It reminds that our hope is not in elections. It's not in recession-proof retirement accounts. Our hope is not in our marital status. Our hope is in Jesus. We belong to him. Our time is short. His return is near. So if you know this chorus, sing it with me. Now I belong to Jesus, Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity.
Close your eyes, let's sing it again. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. We're about to come to the table, and before we do, 1 Corinthians 11 encourages us to examine our hearts, reminds us that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. This meal that we're about to receive is a serious business, but it's a meal that reminds us that God forgives sinners, and we are all sinners. If there is sin in your heart that you have played with and that you have welcomed and that you have refused to give up, this is a good time for you to just confess that to the Lord in your heart, privately, silently, and ask Him to forgive you. Father, we confess that we are sinners, unworthy to partake at your table. But you invited us without money, without payment. And so you have freely invited us as believers to come to this table where the bread and the fruit of the vine remind us of the body and blood of Christ that was given for us and the blood that was shed for us. And so, Father, we confess that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed, and we have left undone things that ought to have been done. Our hope of forgiveness is in Jesus. It's not so much that we invite you to be among us as that you have invited us to this table. And we come with glad hearts. And we give thanks in the name of the one who died, Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to ask the elders and deacons and staff who are serving if they would come forward uh, and prepare for this meal, the worship team will come as well. They'll be served where they are. We're going to be serving from the front this morning. I will tell you, in case you need to know, the bread is gluten-free. Uh, so if you have any allergies, don't let that keep you from participating. This is a meal for believers. We invite all those who have trusted Jesus as their Savior. You're not putting your hope and your good works in anything but Jesus for salvation. Then come and join us. We will be Receiving the elements from the front, that's important language. We're receiving the elements. We're receiving from God what he has done for us. There'll be elders, deacon staff stationed in front of each section. Come to the section that's in front of you. Uh, ushers will let you know when it's your time to come. We'll come down the interior aisles, go back up the middle and the outer aisle. Just follow the person in front of you if you don't know what to do. When you receive the elements... If you would, uh, take them back to your seat and then we will partake 
together. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians 11. We'll be reading from Paul's letter to these same people. He said, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, just think about that, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The old covenant, the covenant of law, the covenant of works, we failed miserably. A new covenant God needed to make with us, and he did it through his son. With his son's blood that was shed on our behalf. And as we come to this table and remember the body and the blood of Christ was shed for us. We acknowledge our belief in him. And then in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We tend to think of God up there. and We are down here. In fact Hans Borsma though. One I quoted earlier said in an interview, we, it's like we build barriers between us and God. That's easier, isn't it? You've got a barrier there. You can't be told when what you're doing just needs to be put aside. Um, and you hear people say, he's of so much, he's so heavenly minded that he's of no earthly good. And then... They say, oh no, she's so earthly minded, she's of no heavenly. It's not one or the other. It's not even us living up to a standard. It's God breaking into our world. The world that he created. And this table reminds us that the kingdom of God has come. Not in full. It will be one day. But the kingdom of God is here. And so it's not that we have to work ourselves up to a spiritual state. He has come to us. And this table brings us into fellowship with him. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.